When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mile Podcast. I am Steve Saipa, and I'll be joined later by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. But we're gonna just jump right into things, because obviously um, not much Mets baseball is going on, save the Arizona Fall League, which is in its second week now. So, first things first, we will review what went down in Arizona. Uh, Mets have sent eight players, Brett Beatty, Carlos Cortez, Wilmer Reyes, Hayden Sanger, Garrison Bryant, Connor Gray, Colin Holdeman, and Brian Machuire. And we'll just quickly touch on each player and review how they did for the week and for the season so far, which totals two weeks. So first up, Brett Beatty. This week, he went 1-for-16 with 4 runs, an RBI, 3 walks, and 10 strikeouts. And for the season to date, that leaves him hitting 267, 421, 433 in 9 games with 3 doubles, a triple, 3 RBI, 7 walks, 13 strikeouts, and 1 stolen base in as many attempts. Next up is Carlos Cortez. And this week, he went 3-for-12 with 3 runs, 3 RBI, 2 walks, two, uh, 3 strikeouts, a hit-by-pitch, and an error. So that leaves him 
on the season, hitting 286, 407, 381 in seven games with a triple, three RBI, four walks, five strikeouts, and he did not attempt any stolen bases. Next up is Wilmer Reyes. And this week, he went 6-for-19 with two runs, four RBI, five walks, four strikeouts, three stolen bases, one quad stealing, and one error. And for the season, that leaves him hitting two, excuse me, yes, 240, 424, 360 in eight games, with a double, a triple, four RBI, eight walks, seven strikeouts, and four stolen bases in five attempts. And among the position players, last but not least, is Hayden Sanger. And this week, he went two for eight with a run, three walks, and a strikeout. And that leaves him hitting 231, 412, 308 in five games with a double, three walks, two strikeouts, and that is about it for him. Now we'll look at the pitchers. First up this week, Garrison Bryant. And he threw three innings. He allowed a hit, did not allow any runs. He walked one, and he struck out three. So that leaves him so far on the season, having started one game and appeared in two, having thrown five innings, he's allowed three hits, he's given up one earned run, which is a 180 ERA, he's walked two, and he struck out five. Next up is Connor Gray, and this week Gray pitched three innings, he gave three hits, he allowed one run, earned, he gave up two walks, and he struck out three. So on the season so far, he has two appearances, and he's thrown six innings and allowed five hits, giving up one run, which is a 150 ERA, with three walks and five strikeouts. Next up is Colin Holdeman, and Holdeman pitched 1.2 innings this week. He allowed four hits, he allowed four runs, all of them earned, gave up two walks, and struck out two. So for the season, he's appeared in three games in total, all relief appearances, and he's pitched 2.2 innings, having given up five hits, four runs, which is a 13.50 ERA. He's walked two, and he struck out three. And last but not least is Brian Matwire, and Matwire pitched 1.2 innings this week. He allowed two hits, and he gave up four runs, all earned. He walked six. And he struck out two. So on the season so far, Matwire has appeared in three games. And he's pitched 2.2 innings, having allowed four hits and given up five runs, which is a 16.88 ERA. He's walked seven and he struck out three. So this week, we are all going to be sharing our thoughts on the 2021 Syracuse Mets. Uh, managed by Chad Kruder. Syracuse went 47-69, and 69, which ended up being tied for worst in the AAA East-Northeast, along with the Rochester Red Wings, and one of the worst records, period, in not only the AAA East, but the AAA West as well. Um, when I think of the story of the Mets minor league system in the upper levels, uh, AAA and AA, 
I think the story for 2021 was expectations. We'll focus on Syracuse this week. But going into the season, I think expectations for Syracuse were pretty high. I mean, I know at least I had high hopes for them. Uh, Last year during the offseason, the Mets made a lot of moves that addressed team depth. And, you know, enough of those guys weren't going to make the major league team after spring training. And they were going to be going to AAA and they'd be playing for Syracuse. And these guys weren't, you know all over-the-hill, obviously, minor league filler guys like we've seen the Mets go with in the last couple of years. You know, the the Danny Espinosas, the Gregor Blancos, the Roger Bernardinas, the Rajai Davises, the Jonathan Albaladejos, the, the Irvin Santanas, you know, all those Triple uh, A greats over the last couple of years. For the most part, the players that were going to be rostered in Syracuse the guys that the Mets were assembling were kind of legit guys. Looking at pitching first, they traded for Jordan Yamamoto. They traded for Joey Lucchese. They had David Peterson coming off of a, a pretty solid rookie season in 2020. You know, given that we thought that the Mets rotation was going to be DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Carrasco, and Walker for some portion of the season, you know, we, and, and we all hoped for majority of the season— Basically, all three of those guys, Yamamoto, Lucchese, and Peterson, were going to be guys that were getting extensive playing time in Syracuse. And all three of them, relatively young, they showed glimpses of being able to be solid pitchers against MLB hitters. You know, that that had the makings of a pretty strong staff. And then, in addition to them, you had Thomas Zapucky. You had Franklin Kilame, you had Harold Gonzalez, they would be pitching for Syracuse. Uh, Corey Oswalt was going to figure in there somehow. They also signed uh, veteran Jared Eikhoff. So there was, I don't want to say a very good AAA pitching staff, but it looked like it could have been. Um, maybe the weakest part of the team was going to be the outfield which I mean, excuse me, the infield, which is more or less projected to be full of guys that were either Mets form hands that worked their way up to AAA, you know, uh, guys like David Thompson or Cody Bohanek, or minor league free agents that were of dubious pedigree, guys like Wilfredo Tavar, uh, Orlando Calhite, or, or MMA legend himself, Jake Hager. Basically, the only guys that were kind of notable in the infield were Brandon Drury and Jonathan VR. And, you know, some combination of those two guys would have been playing for the Mets um, in some portion of the season. In the outfield, um, uh, again, they had a pretty solid outfield, at least on paper at the beginning of the year. They acquired Khalil Levy at trade, and he was going to be playing and developing out there in Syracuse. Mason Williams, he was a shrewd minor league pickup. Um, Janushui Fargus, he was a solid farmhand that was already in the system, and he'd be playing in Syracuse. And then, you know, similar to Drury and VR in the infield, they signed Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora. And, you know, some combination of those two guys would be playing in games in Syracuse. Um, But... Everything started falling apart for the Mets pretty quickly. And when that started happening, they had to start drawing from the depth that they built preseason. 
And that's basically where everything started going downhill for Syracuse. The Mets' strength was the depth. But that caused massive problems for Syracuse. Because all those players that were supposed to be playing for Syracuse suddenly weren't. All of a sudden, instead of having a team that was made out of, you know, solid AAA guys and quad A guys, all of a sudden it was a team made up of spare parts. The guys that weren't signed, you know, back in, in April because they couldn't really even hack it at the AAA level, let alone make anyone's team in uh, April and May. Obviously, those kinds of guys are not that great. You know, there are there's exceptions here and there. You know, maybe evaluators in other places miss something. But for the most part, those kinds of guys are guys that uh, are not good. They are the spare parts of the spare parts. They are the last options, last resort. And when you play with a team that's full of last resorts for a considerable portion of the year, well, you don't do good. And, you know, that basically is why the Syracuse Mets did so lousy, despite us going into the season thinking that they would be uh, a fairly solid squad. Hey guys, Lucas here to go over my part of the recap of the 2021 Syracuse Mets. Uh, much like most of the Mets organization in 2021, there's not a whole lot of good to talk about here. Uh, I think Thomas is going to talk about how there was perhaps some positive aspects to the AAA team functioning as a good repository of death, depth rather for the Major League side. But you can imagine uh, when you have a AAA roster that's light on impact prospects um, and also being continuously raided by the Major League side for injury replacements, what have you, uh, the AAA results are going to be pretty poor. And that's definitely what we saw with the Syracuse Mets. They were 50-75 and 75, uh, playing in the AAA East-Northeast division. Don't ask me what league it used to be. I couldn't tell you. So... I don't. I don't think it's particularly worthwhile, at least for the content or audience of our podcast, to to go in depth on the season itself. But I wanted to highlight a couple guys that I found interesting for one reason or another uh, amidst a rots a roster that uh, really doesn't have a ton of those names. Uh, and you can probably anyone who's listened to this pod probably knows where I'm going to go first, and that's Khalil Lee. Uh, Khalil Lee, of course, uh, one of the acquisitions the Mets made last offseason. He was part of that Stephen Matz deal where they took, uh, uh, they got a couple pitchers, uh, Yancy Diaz and uh, 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 Josh Winkowski um, from the Blue Jays. And I believe there was, oh, and then Sean Reed Foley, of course, uh, for Stephen Matz. And then they turned around and uh, used Winkowski along with a player to be named later who turned out to be Freddie Valdez, uh, it was a big hunkin' DSL right field prospect, if you can imagine that in your head, who didn't hit particularly well for the Red Sox. So it doesn't seem like the Mets gave up a ton on that front. Um, but anyway, the Mets 
got part of what they traded for Khalil Lee in the Stephen Matz deal and then inter- injected themselves into the uh, Andrew Benintendi trade with the Royals in order to pry away Khalil Lee, who had been with the Royals. Um, and Lee's long been someone I've had interest in, a uh, guy with center field defense. He's got defensive skills. He has speed skills, uh, has always shown a decent batting eye, walked a lot in the minors. And by and large, most of those traits appeared uh, again in AAA. Uh, he walked 18% of the time, by all accounts, played strong defense, though uh, by my own admission, I haven't watched a ton of Syracuse games this year. Um, but, I mean, the physical tools are there, and it seems reasonable. He only swiped eight bags in, in 102 games, so definitely less speed than you would hope, particularly after he swiped an insane 53 uh, for the Royals at Double A in 2019. Um, so all of those are good signs, and he posted a 162-weighted runs created plus for AAA. Um, this is especially encouraging given some of the rumors we heard about him in the offseason. Uh, there were a lot of rumors that came out of the Royals minor league camp in 2020 uh, about certain guys really improving their stock. That was Bobby Witt, MJ Belendez, Nick Prado, and Khalil Lee was another name mentioned there. Um, and the three guys that the Royals hang on to, uh, the ones not who aren't Lee in that previous sentence, uh, by and large showed that those rumors were true. Um, Lee, meanwhile, came into camp with a new swing. There was some great winter video of a, a very nice looking, uh, I believe it was a home run or just a deep fly ball showing off his new swing. Uh, so there was hope and, and his offensive output at AAA Somewhat backs that up. He even launched 14 homers, which was uh, the high, the most he's hit since uh, 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 A-ball back in 2017. So all of this is definitely encouraging, and this is very much my kind of prospect. I mean, for whatever other concerns we have about Brandon Nimmo, which we don't need to get into, uh, he's de- one of my favorite players largely because of his approach. Uh, I really am a sucker for these on-base percentage type guys. Khalil Lee it has not Brandon Nimmo's eye, but that sort of skill set with a lot more athleticism. Uh, of course, I've been dancing around the, the real elephant in the room. Uh, Lee did get a chance to touch the major leagues for, what was it, a week, maybe less. And suffice it to say, it was not great. He ran a strikeout rate of 72.2%. Uh, another way to put that is that in a mere uh, uh, 18 plate appearances, he struck out 13 times, which is just insane. Like, he's not that bad. He doesn't have that level of contact efficiency. Um, but his strikeout rate in AAA was pushing 30%, and it's not as if it that was an unstable 30% driven by early year struggles or something. No, he was pretty consistently around a 30% strikeout rate throughout the entire year. Um, and as much as I love this profile, as much as I'm going to probably push him when the off-season list comes, uh, off-season list season comes around, um, that is a, a huge problem, right? It pushes him from someone who has a really, really intriguing skill set if they could just figure a couple things out to quite possibly not a viable major leaguer, right? And the big prospect uh, uh, websites will talk about the most important tool being the hit tool. And that's that's simply true, right? Like if you can't hit, 
uh, you're not going to be able to play in modern baseball, right? You're not going to be able to get to your power, no matter how natural it is. You're not going to be able to use your speed on the base paths because you can't reach base. And and this is the big concern with these walk-heavy minor league guys. If you can't hit, major league pitchers will challenge you and those walks will dry up. So I think there's a real question as to whether Lee is actually a viable major leaguer. And I I have a lot of concerns there, despite how much I'm going to overrate him this offseason. Now, it's possible that he, he can figure a couple things out and, and he's slotting more into that uh, Keon Broxton um, type role of high strikeout, big power, high athleticism. Uh, center field defender and that's a really nice fourth outfielder that's a good player to have around um there's also a chance he improves even more than that like Brandon Nimmo never struck out this much in the minor leagues to be clear but has trimmed his strikeout rate considerably over the past two seasons he's cut it from uh the mid to high 20s to below 20 percent over 2020 and 2021 so I'm not I'm not writing off Lee's bat um here entirely uh, but I'm definitely concerned. And this is one of those instances where it'd be really great to have minor league pitch-specific swinging strike data uh, to better understand what Lee's struggling with, right? Is it just that he can't hit a breaking ball at all? Is it uh, that he can't catch up with velocity? Is it both? Is it something else? Um, that sort of granular data would give us better feel, I think, for how likely he is to figure this out. Um but right now, as tantalizing as the the final product is here, uh, I have I have some concerns. Um, still, going to be a top ten prospect in the system if for no other reason than the system sucks, uh, and it's an intriguing skill set that we can get excited about. And even if nothing else, it should be a decent bench outfielder. Now, this is not someone you should be penciling in for a starting role. So, if that shows up in your AAOP, uh, prepare to be dinged accordingly. So that's enough with me ranting about Khalil Lee, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, let me move on to someone else that I was really intrigued by when the Mets picked him up, and that's Travis Blankenhorn. Uh, now, Blankenhorn was a notable, it was a prospect of note as recently as 2019. He was appearing on uh, uh, organizational lists for the Twins. Uh, BP might have even had them in their top 10 in 2019. You know, I, if, if I was a better podcaster, I would have looked this up beforehand. Um, corner infielder type, though he plays second base, that sort of non-shortstop utility infielder uh, who should, in theory, be able to hit left-handed bat bulkier dude is maybe the nice way to put it, but has some good bat-to-ball skills, has a, a decent eye at the plate, and should have some pop given his skills, though it's never been a particularly prodigious power in the minors. Um, now, despite this, he was just getting passed around like a hot potato this offseason. The Twins waved him, uh, he went to the Dodgers, he went to the Mariners, and finally he landed with the Mets. Uh, and had a really nice season in AAA. He hit 255, 373, 484, nine homers in uh, just under 200 plate appearances. That's a 130 weighted. Um, and he also got some major league time. He hit his first major league home run, which I mean, I'm always uh, uh, very appreciative of the guys who get up and get their one shot, get at least a taste, get their moment. Um, but I really do think there's more here. Despite, uh, I, I'm a little puzzled by why he got passed around so much this offseason given that he's only 25 and still has options left uh he seems like someone that uh, 
uh, a team that the basically any major league team should be able or should be interested in holding on to. And then maybe the Dodgers have a roster crunch, right? I can understand that. But why the Twins or the Mariners are passing up a chance to hang on to this guy and see if he improves his power by half a grade or improves his hit tool for half a grade, right? That's a difference between an up and down bench bat and maybe a second division starter at second base or uh, something like that. And developing those guys internally is is definitely valuable. I mean, just look at the Mets AAA roster. I don't know that there's any infielder on this roster that is more interesting as a prospect uh, than Blankenhorn and discounting Mark Vientos getting however many at-bats he got at the end of the season. Um, So I I still think that that Blankenhorn is a real prospect. He's uh, 25. He was born in 96, right? So he'll be... He'll turn 26 uh, during next season. Again, not someone that we want to pencil in for a major league role necessarily. I'm not sure I'd even pencil him in for a spot on the bench. But as an optionable post-hype prospect with some upside, this is exactly the one, the piece, kind of piece you want to have kicking around at AAA. And I like his swing and, and his, his the profile of his minor league performance, let's put it that way, enough to think that there's something more here, even. Uh, not enough to, like, stop me from signing uh, Javier Baez or Chris Bryant or anything like that, uh, but enough that I'm intrigued by him and would be somewhat annoyed if he's again passed around by a hot potato or passed around like a hot potato by the Mets uh, given their lack of upper minor depth. Now uh, last little bit here and this one is more a novelty certainly not someone I expect to uh, contribute in the major leagues in any way but someone I had hope, been hoping would get a, a major league shot um, and that's uh, Drew Jackson. So Jackson was a Rule 5 pick several years ago as a major as part of the Major League Rule 5 draft, but then got picked by the Mets as part of the Minor League Rule 5 draft last year. So this is like the real dregs. If you're interested in this stuff, you should really follow Ben Badler from Baseball America. He does a lot of great work. He gets into this uh, uh, very intently and understands... I don't understand the rules well enough to explain them in depth here, but there's a Minor League phase of the Rule 5 draft where... It's mostly just org depth guys being passed around, if we're being totally honest. And and Jackson uh, isn't a prospect, if we're being honest. Like, he was drafted in 2015 as a, as a college player in the fifth round. He's now 28. He's been passed around from the Mariners to the Dodgers, Baltimore. Um, all that said, he had a pretty nice season for the AAA Syracuse Mets. Uh, 309 plate appearances, hit 251, 397, 424. That's a 127 weighted, nine homers and 24 steals. And he did this while playing all three outfield positions, as well as shortstop, uh, third base, second base, uh, even appeared at first base and uh, uh, pitched in a couple blowouts because the AAA Syracuse Mets uh, pitching staff was horrible. Um, now, Jackson has gotten his quote-unquote major league shot. He got a little bit of time with Baltimore, and by a little bit of time, I mean four plate appearances across three games uh, in 2019. But he didn't get a hit. And and given that he was performing in AAA and the multiple to- uh, opportunities the Mets had to get him up uh, onto their 40-man roster as the season was slipping away, I'm, I was a little disappointed not to see him. It's definitely a feel-good story, someone who 
has utility as upper minor's depth, uh, particularly, again, given the state of the Mets system, and, and someone who had been doing the yeoman's work of, of bouncing around to every position on the diamond to accommodate a roster that was continually in flux. And, and I think it's a good organizational practice to give someone like that uh, a chance at the majors, uh, a chance in the majors if you're in a lost season and there's no one better to play, right? Like, I don't think there's anything to be lost, once the Mets are out of the playoff race, which they were pretty clearly for a while, there's no real reason to, say, rush J.D. Davis back while his wrist is still bothering him instead of giving Drew Jackson 15 at-bats or something to get his first major league hit, right? I think that's something that good, empathetic organizations should do, and I would also suspect it's something that uh, players would make note of, right? Like, an organization's going to treat me well and give me a chance, Um so definitely not someone who we're interested in as a major prospect. Probably a decent chance he's not even in the organization next year. Um, but he had a nice season at AAA, and I hope that gets acknowledged. I hope he gets another chance, gets another job. Uh, and, and I do also sincerely hope he gets to come back to the majors at some point and uh, have another chance at his first major league hit, or in his only major league hit even. Um so those are the, the players I wanted to highlight from the Syracuse Mets. Certainly not a, a deep, in-depth uh, review of their team, but truthfully, it's not a roster that deserves that. So uh, hopefully next year will be more rewarding. I'll pass it on to whoever's uh, going next in our compilation episode this week. Uh, but until I talk to you again, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In discussing the Syracuse Mets this year, um, I think even going into the season, it was hard to consider them anything but like a filler league almost, a filler division for the Mets just because every single exciting prospect they have, even the babies of the world and the guys who we're really, we talk about every week on this podcast and every Mets fan is excited about, they weren't even close to sniffing AAA this year. And that's not, that's not their fault, but also it's not AAA's fault. It's not Syracuse's fault that they were just designed that way, but also that's just how it happens because of trades in the organization and stuff like that. Like, if the Kalenic trade never happened, he would have been there, or it in the big leagues either way. But, um, yeah, Syracuse just didn't have the prospect talent. And while it was a failure for that, I don't want to call it a failure because my overall take is that it was, it helped the big league Mets more than you would expect, but it didn't, they didn't win a lot of games in Syracuse and they didn't really 
it was kind of like a lost year for the actual Syracuse Mets as a quote-unquote team, like, an, like if you're going to talk about it that way. But the thing that interests me the most is that I found that the Mets, that the Syracuse Mets were very, a very adequate and very helpful uh, almost taxi squad for the big league club because of how many injuries they had. We were talking about the replacements, the replacements on Twitter and everything like that, and guys like Mason Williams and Janeshwi Fargus and every single person who played in that month, the Brandon Drury's of the world, all those guys. While that's not an exciting thing for a, for a Mets minor league podcast to discuss, because, like, what are we really going to talk about with Mason Williams and Brandon Drury and... I mean, even Tyler McGill started there, but that's a different story because he's an actual, like, young player. But outside of McGill, it was all veterans, really. And their entire goal was when people get hurt. The entire reason for them being in the organization and why AAA was a success for me this year, not so much on the field for the Syracuse Mets. They were a huge success for the big league Mets because they, the, the Syracuse Mets basically kept the Mets alive in in the middle of the season when every single person was hurt. They were running out lineups where it was like Francisco Lindor, who was in the midst of the biggest slump of his career, and like eight other players who would have been in AAA, and they somehow kept the Mets afloat. So like this year in terms of prospect development for the Syracuse Mets is pretty lost. Like there were some minor leaguers who there were some relievers, I mean, who like the Orzies of the world and guys like that, who we will discuss next year and will have a place on the Mets. And Tyler McGill was an excellent, excellent piece for the Mets for a while. And he came straight from Syracuse, but he was kind of no one, someone that not, not many people talked about. He, he popped to it, the surprise of many, but yeah, I just find it really interesting how the more I take, I leave the season and how disappointing it was win loss record wise just because there's a lot of filler in the organization. Like, I think the Syracuse Mets would have had a much better record if um, the big Mets didn't all get hurt at the same time and they were really allowed to, like, figure it out and they were allowed to play with each other and they were allowed to actually be a quad A team, which is pretty much what they were this year. Like, I think they would have had a better on-the-field record with all those veterans there, but they were constantly getting called up and they were constantly... I mean, helping the big league club, which when you have such a, such a thin upper level of the farm system, like outside, I mean, really outside of only a few teams, it's probably like this, but you, these are the guys who fill your triple a roster and outside of clearly, clearly was another prospect, obviously who logged major league time with the Mets, but he just wasn't ready offensively for that burden. It just wasn't, he just wasn't ready. Like I'm glad the Mets tried him and, Obviously, like it's not like they had a lot of other options, but I'm still glad the Mets gave him a shot. He deserved a shot, but also he very clearly was not ready for the major leagues. And then he went down to Syracuse after that and was excellent and walked all the time and hit a bunch of home runs and played good defense. And like, if we get out of the season with Khalil Lee and Tyler McGill and a bunch of guys who actually helped the big league Mets win, the Travis Blankenhorns of the world and everyone else, like, that's important, even though it's not exactly exciting and it's not exactly something we're going to talk about in five to ten years. Hell, we're probably not even going to talk about this next year. But I don't think it was like an abject failure of an organizational 
level like maybe double a was where they were just really really bad and that's all prospects or like the really the only good team was st lucy like brooklyn couldn't really pitch uh binghamton was just bad but syracuse was bad because it was a bunch of veterans who were just waiting for the call-up but also they basically their starting lineup spent an entire month in queens helping the mets somehow maintain first place for the what for a long stretch of time before everyone else came back. So like Syracuse was a really weird season for for me, like outside of the rest of them you could very clearly say hey, the record was bad and therefore it was bad because that's how it was, but I think you kind of have to put an asterisk next to the Syracuse season just because I think it would have been a whole lot different if they weren't constantly getting jerked around by the Mets schedule and it's not their fault like the Mets have to call those players up, but yeah, Syracuse was funny this year, honestly. It was just, oh, which which S-Met is going to come up and hit a home run against the Pirates, and that's what ended up happening sometimes. And the replaced Mets were really fun, and even though it didn't, it didn't, that didn't become results in Syracuse, it still became results for the Mets, and therefore, shout out the 2021 Syracuse Mets. Hello, everyone. This is Ken with uh, from Complex to Queens, and I'm going to talk about the 2021 Syracuse Mets for a minute or two. Um, so, yeah, the the Syracuse Mets were were not a particularly good team from a, a wins and losses standpoint. They went 50 and 75 and fell out of the race in the AAA East Northeast Division uh, fairly early. However, they did um, kind of do the job that AAA is meant to do, uh, which is give a place um, for players uh, to stay sharp between uh, being needed on the big league team's active roster. So the Mets this year obviously went through a lot of players, and um, some guys from the AAA team came up and contributed, maybe not for a particularly long amount of time, but contributed in, in some meaningful way. Uh, one example is Brandon Drury, who um, actually had a pretty good run with the Mets in a small sample size of mostly pinch hitting. He went 274, 307, 476 for the Mets in 88 plate appearances. He got a couple big hits down the down the stretch, and um, he spent most of the year at, at in AAA Syracuse. So. Um, another Khalil Lee, uh, offensively did not look ready for the big leagues, but had a few moments in which he made excellent defensive plays. Um, uh, Patrick Mazeka, uh, the RBI King obviously had, um, a few big moments and, uh, managed to hit a couple homers. So the Mets, you know, while they weren't necessarily the most exciting guys, um, they did manage to get usable depth from their AAA roster. Um, so uh, clearly um, the best hitter on the team, ironically, given his, his small stint in the majors, was Khalil Lee. Khalil Lee hit uh, an absurd 162 WRC+, plus, uh, 274, 451, 500 in 388 plate appearances. And while he struck out, 29.6% of the time he managed to walk in 18.3% of his plate appearances. So while his small big league stint on early in the year didn't go particularly well with the bat, he really performed excellently the entire season at AAA. 
um, to the point where maybe he might be in the mix for a slightly bigger role next season. Um, if, if, you know, the Mets find themselves in need of an outfielder, um, particularly an outfielder who can play center and, um, play center. Well, um, Maybe the most interesting pitcher who spent a large portion of the season at AAA, uh, in my mind, is Adam Aller. He, um, you know, didn't pitch particularly long, mostly just the month of September. But he was very, very effective. He threw 44 innings of two with to a uh, 2.45 ERA. Uh, managed to strike out almost a batter an inning and kept his walks south of. Uh, four batters per nine and um yeah he kind of put himself on the map between his time in binghamton and syracuse so uh adam Aller is kind of somebody to follow now based on his time with the 2021 syracuse mets uh one final person i'd like to talk to uh, i'd like to talk about is um, Mark Vientos, who spent only a small amount of time, a short time with um, with uh, Syracuse, but uh, was kind of impressive in, in 43 plate appearances. So it's obviously a small sample, but it's always really nice to see a player come up and, um, you know, not really struggle upon being at a new level. Now, there's all sorts of reasons to hand, hand wave it away. Uh, AAA, the, the level of competition is down compared to previous years. Um, you know, it's late in the season. A lot of the pitchers are gassed. But no matter which way you slice it, he, he came up and he really didn't miss a beat. His uh, batting line uh, at AA Binghamton uh, was 281, 346, 580 in 306 plate appearances. He struck out 28.4% of the time, walked 8.5% of the time, 144 WRC+. Plus. Um, you know, it's, it's a great season in AA. And then he got promoted and remarkably improved. Um, really didn't skip a beat. In 43-point appearances, very, very small sample. Obviously doesn't mean much other than being nice that he kept up his pace at a higher level of competition, but in 43 plate appearances, he managed to hit 278, 395, 583 with 30, a 30.2% strikeout rate and a 16.3% walk rate and managed to hit three homers in the, those 43 plate appearances. Uh, so if I had to say, um, like the the best new player at Syracuse, that'd probably be Vientos. He, he was very impressive in that small amount of time, um, and adjusted very quickly. So he's likely destined to head back there next season to start. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see how he fares in a in a bigger sample, um, you know, in AAA. Uh, so really, not much else to talk about with Syracuse. Kind of a boring team. Um, but there, there were some bright spots. They, they did kind of do the job of supplying the big league team with bodies when they need it. And um, there were a few players who, who really stood out. Well, that's it for the show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at ElVlahos343. 
Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast or if you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.